Currency. Welcome. I'm my guest and I'm your host. This is episode number 99. Glad to have you guys along. Uh, it is Monday evening, September 27th, as I record this and uh, uh, really glad to be behind the mic. Can't believe that we're almost to 100 episodes here. Kind of crazy. And one of the things that I really want to start doing is getting interviews. I want to get people back on the podcast. I've got a couple of buddies that have said, hey, I'll jump on with you, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, would need to coordinate that, but I've got to get people on. Now, part of my problem, and I sound like a broken record to anybody who's been listening, we moved. Okay, Mike, we know you moved. Big deal. <laughs> it took months. And so uh, e- even you can hear this room, the sound quality in this room is terrible. I've got uh, a new carpet coming into this office in the next week or so. I've got some things that are going to be happening to help improve the podcast. But one thing I really want to get doing is have some interviews. So we're going to be working on that. Bear with me, kids. Hang in there and all that good stuff. Glad you're here, though. Today, I want to talk about something that should be near and dear to everyone's heart. There was an article that came out, actually a number of articles. This is a thing that happened or is happening and has been covered kind of, I don't know if it's been on your radar. It's not, it wasn't on mine. I just discovered it uh, recently and I was surprised to hear about this. But essentially, um, Scientists now are studying the potential uh, to to create kind of leafy green vegetables that have mRNA in them, this mRNA technology. Essentially, you you talk about genetically modified food. This is food that modifies your genetics. So the idea being like, golly, you know, leafy green vegetables are so good for us. What if we were able to use leafy green vegetables as a vehicle to get mRNA technology into people so that then those vegetables could start tweaking people's RNA and helping them become, you know, helping quote unquote, become more uh, uh, susceptible. The truth wants to come out more resistant to viruses and so on. So the idea being that, uh, that um, there's been some grant money, I want to say like half a million bucks. So they're just kind of poking a little bit. But half a million bucks has been given in grant money so that places like um, the University of California, Riverside's Department of Botany and Plant Sciences can go a little deeper with these leafy green vegetables and figure out, can we somehow integrate mRNA, which is, if anybody's not, uh, if anybody's new to the, the, the world we're living in right now, that is the technology behind the so-called vaccines for COVID-19. The idea that you are not being inoculated with attenuated versions of the COVID virus so that your body can learn how to beat it up and defend itself. No, these injections, they're not really vaccines, although the the CDC and FDA and all these folks, they're changing the definition of vaccines so that these things qualify. But technically, historically, these are not vaccines. The vaccines and attenuated versions. These are injections of a new technology that kind of mess with your RNA a little bit and help you develop your, your body naturally develops these spike proteins that it then learns to beat up and so on. It is yet to be determined if this technology is going to work over the long term. And as a matter of fact, the scientists have been trying to develop this technology for decades and decades. They've known about the potential of it. There have been all kinds of studies, all kinds of experiments, tests. They've tried to roll this out a few times in different trials it has always gone badly, very badly. And that is not just some podcaster trying to drum up a little bit of of fear. Uh, This is the real thing. If you look into the history of 
RNA technology and experimentation and trials, it has gone really badly. It's not worked well. It's often led to disastrous side effects, and they've had to stop these trials or pull whatever it was that they were working on uh, out of circulation and say, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Miraculously, or maybe not, somehow, strangely, we were able to get this vaccine technology knocked out really quickly uh, with the whole COVID thing. Now, maybe maybe science has figured something out here. Maybe it has not. Uh, there's a lot of noise that's being, I hate to say covered up, but let's face it, a lot of noise being covered up. A lot of stuff is happening to people that have gotten these vaccines. Not to everyone. It's not like everyone that gets it turns into a zombie. Uh, not yet. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you got the vaccine, it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything bad's going to happen to you. But a lot of people are getting... Um, uh, you know, heart enlargement, blood clots. Uh, there's concentrations of the spike protein showing up in reproductive organs like testes and um, ovaries. Uh, the spike protein is showing up in bloodstream and into brain matter, places that it's not supposed to. They're surprised and they're not sure why or how that happened. So all that said, the government's thrown half a million dollars at uh, this Department of Botany and Plant Sciences over at University of California, Riverside, to say, hey, let's see if you can grow food that has essentially an edible mRNA vaccine in it. So we've talked about this idea, not on this podcast, but just we as a society, we've talked about genetically modified foods, but, but essentially these are foods that modify your genetics. And this is really weird. I, I mean, look, I get it. I, I get how infatuated we are with technology. I get how full of hubris we are that we think that we can solve every problem, that science is going to come through and save the day, that mankind will always use his ingenuity and his, his, uh, his fascination with learning and solving problems to, to deal with these things and to make them go away. And look how clever we are. We can change the food supply. But it just, it boggles the mind how stupid we are at the same time. It boggles the mind how stupid we are. If you look at the world we're living in right now, it is a mess. And you can't tell me that everything that's going on right now around these vaccines, it's just one side is right and one side is wrong. You can't tell me that the pro-vaccine people are right. How could they be? And what I mean by that isn't, they're absolutely wrong, but how could they, how could we even know? We haven't dealt with the coronavirus until just 18 months ago when it hit the scene for us, at least in America, China was dealing with it a little bit longer. There's a lot of secrecy. There's a lot of deception. You know, no, it did not come out of the Wuhan lab. Now it's looking like pretty darn sure it came out of the Wuhan lab. Uh, no, Dr. Fauci had nothing to do with it. No, I'm pretty sure he had something to do with it. You look at Fauci's writings not that long ago you know, five, 10, six years ago. And he's saying, hey, hydroxychloroquine works really good at dealing with coronaviruses as a therapeutic and as a protectorant and all this kind of stuff. And, and then he's coming out saying, this is horrible. Don't do it. There's so much obfuscation. There's so much insincerity, let's say. There's so much politicization. And there's so much uh, uh, pressure, coercion for people to take this vaccine. It makes you wonder. And now scientists have got half a million bucks, which I, I'm guessing in the science world isn't a ton of money. 
It's not like you're going to put a man in the moon for half a million bucks. I don't know what it takes to really go after this thing. And, and they could do the research and just hit a dead end. They might find it's just impossible. We'd like to do it. We can't. I mean, this might just be a shot in the dark. This doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh my gosh, they're two steps away. And once they crack the code on this, it's game over for mankind. But you, you got to wonder sometimes. You think about the food supply. Did anybody watch Jurassic Park? <laughs> I mean, has anybody read Michael Crichton's masterpiece? It's not a masterpiece, by the way. That's tongue in cheek. God bless Michael Crichton. Uh, he'll never be accused of being a great writer. Let's just say that. But, but, but he's an entertaining writer and he churned out a lot of stuff. But, you know, the, the premise being like, you're not supposed to mess with mother nature, that, that mother nature always wins and mankind tampers. And this is a, this is a theme in, in the, in this age of science. If you look back in the forties, you don't see movies where mankind tampers with nature and then nature lashes out so much. You might see some of it, but it starts to grow as we become more technologically savvy, as we start nuking one another. I mean, this is where you get Godzilla from, the psyche of the Japanese people, of this giant technological horror of the, of the nuclear bomb. And you get this giant fire-breathing dragon that comes out of the sea and breathes nuclear fire and wipes out cities. But you start to see this theme of mankind messing with nature and things always go sideways. Why are these themes showing up in our popular culture? Because there's an underlying anxiety about that. There's something in us that tells us you got to be careful with this stuff. And the problem with mankind is we, we are not always equipped to handle the things that we do. We don't really understand what we're messing with. And, and often what happens is we, we're not capable of considering all the problems or what could happen. These law of unattended consequences always happen. We're just not capable. We are limited entities. We have limited minds, limited perspective. We are not omniscient. We are not omnipotent. We are not uh, omnipresent. We're not God. And this is where the classic, you know, we mess in God's domain and look what happens. And the problem that I have with this, you're talking now about the food supply. It's one thing to say we're going to create a pill or a syrup or an injection uh, that you can take. Once you start doing things in the food supply, like look at, look at genetically modified food right now. You get a farmer, you get two farms side by side. One side, they've got Monsanto genetically modified corn. The other side, they've got some organic corn. Well, those things can cross-pollinate. They can show up, like the, the genetic material can show up in the other corn. And sometimes, wow, that's impossible because they're genetically created to not. But it happens. It actually absolutely happens. And so once this stuff, these genetically modified things get into your food supply, well, how do you get them out? What if we find out after time that this isn't good? And there's a deeper issue we're going to talk about in half a second here, but what do you, how do you get this? What if we find out it's not good? For instance, you know, you go, well, FDA approval. Well, I'm sure the FDA approved thalidomide for morning sickness at one point. My goodness, they're talking about potentially re-studying uh, ibuprofen because they're concerned there might be some uh, bad effects for pregnant women. I mean, things that we think are okay, we often find out are not okay. And things that we think are not okay, we often find out later they're okay. Like, for instance, eggs were forbidden. Like, my gosh, if you want to die of cholesterol, don't eat an egg. And people were avoiding eggs for, for decades, it seems. Now, all of a sudden, eggs are like a wonder food. Like, oh, you can't eat enough eggs. You know, this is if you're on some type of keto 
paleo-style diet. Fats were bad. Eggs and cholesterol were bad. Red meats were bad, et cetera, et cetera. Now people are like, oh yeah, no, you got to live on that stuff. Don't eat, don't eat bread, rice, pasta, the stuff that they told us to eat tons of because it was low fat. Now it's like, no, 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 now you got to eat red meat and lots of fat. <laughs> but that's just dietary. I mean, look at the medicine, look at the science. We, we've been, the things that we're told are fine today are always found out, almost always. I mean, not always, a little hyperbole there. But they're always found out to be not good later on. Things that we're told, you know, this is fine, go for it. And then later it's like, yeah, you got to be careful. Or no, we, we really made a mistake. Or those trials were flawed. Or the data wasn't correct or complete. Now we know more. So here we've got this novel coronavirus, which is novel for us. And now we've got this brand new novel. I mean, you couldn't be more novel, more new, more, you know, quote unquote, innovative with this jab. This is brand new technology. This isn't that they figured out how to create a vaccine. This injection that they're putting in people is completely brand new. And it's a technology that we have struggled to make work for human beings and other living organisms for decades. And we don't really know that we've got it right. How could you? How could you? I mean, you could go and build the very first airplane and you could make it perfectly. You could make sure every bolt and nut is tight, et cetera. You could have all the science and all the back of the napkin math worked out and you build this thing and you machine it just perfectly. And it may be that you built the perfect airplane, but the fact is you don't know until you get hours and hours and hours and hours of flying that thing. When it first takes off, it's fingers crossed. And that's the stage we're at right now with these vaccines. We can't know. There have been no human studies or trials, not, not, not comprehensive. This thing is a political tar baby, and they've just pushed it through. The progressives of our world, not just this country, have made such a situation. They've backed us in a corner. They've created such fear around this virus and such frenzy because of orange man bad and an opportunity to execute emergency authority powers to grab control and to say we're going to take this welfare state to the next level baby hold my beer to such a degree that people are like i, I can't live without a vaccine and 16 masks <laughs> And so now we've, you know, we're, we're in the shoot. We're, we're committed to this thing. And yet in this article, they're talking about doing research to figure out how they can in, in, put this technology in food. And now, why is this really troubling? I mean, I've touched on it a little bit, but, but here's something I want to talk about. It's one thing to say, hey, look, like everybody eats food and food is like medicine. It's chemistry. You know, you take this vitamin, it helps you. You, you. you eat this food, it helps you that way. You were talking about eggs yourself, how it's a superfood. Okay. And, and you could even make the argument that the egg from a chicken is not, you know, like, like mankind has kind of domesticated the chicken. We've created this animal that maybe didn't exist in its current form. We could say that about a lot of fruits and vegetables that through selective breeding and, uh, you know, very basic genetics. We're not tinkering with the genome of these things, but we're crossbreeding these things and getting sweeter carrots, uh, you know, more plump tomatoes, etc. Okay. Okay. 
I don't want to, I'm not acting and pretending like the world around me is pristine. And every time mankind does something, he ruins it. We've been modifying things. I know the barnyard animals did not exist in their current form. Mankind kind of went through its, its thing and modified these guys until we had these, you know, through animal husbandry and so on, selective breeding, these animals that you and I call cows and turkeys and chickens and so on. Okay. But there's something different, very different about this mRNA technology. It literally changes your body on, on a very fundamental level. It creates these spike proteins and it plays with the interface of your RNA. It changes the, the very surface, the receptors. There's something going on where it's changing your body. Now, it might be insignificant. It might be just focused on one specific thing. But the problem is we don't really understand. Most of the people in society that are getting this injection have no idea what's going on. They're just taking it on faith. They have faith in the religion of science, and they're just taking it on faith and saying, I'm taking this, this injection. But the thing about that is at least you can choose. You can choose to take it or not, even if they force you, meaning you'll lose your job and so on. You still choose not to. You will suffer greatly. You'll be ostracized and not allowed to participate in society. You'll live under a bridge, as I said I was willing to do if I'm willing to lose everything. I'm not taking this thing because I don't like to be forced. But at the end of the day, you can choose, unless they strap everybody down and just force the injection on them. That's just pure evil. But once this thing gets into our food source, you don't, the, the choice is gone. Once mRNA technology becomes part of vegetables, things that are grown from the earth that you pick and grow, you grow and pick and, and wash and consume, you, it, it's not like you're just getting an energy source and maybe some macronutrients and micronutrients into your body. You're, you're eating something that's fundamentally changing your body. And how do we protect that? How do we, like, like, even if we just say, okay, well, it's okay to fight COVID. Well, you know, how many viruses are going to be coming down the pike that we have to deal with? How many flus, how many viruses, bacteria, E. coli, and all these different things. So now we're going to have to have mRNA technology in our food to combat all these things. Well, who's watching the watchers? Who gets to decide? How do you know when you eat that salad? What's going on inside your body? How do you know they're not making you more docile through genetic manipulation? It's, it's quite interesting. Now, here's the kind of deeper issue that I have with all this. And I said earlier, maybe this comes to nothing. I, I, it's not clear that they've figured anything out. They're just throwing them a few bucks so they can play with this concept. But I'm telling you, this concept, if, they, if they're successful with it, is not going to be good for mankind. <laughs> now, you might come from a tradition of more of a secular tradition. You view the world from a secular perspective. But those of you that listen to the show for any amount of time know that I'm a Christian. And there's a specific concept within Christianity and that is that human beings are unique in all of creation because they bear the image of God. Now, God is the creator of this universe, the whole material world. And that human beings are unique in that we bear his 
image. He made us in his likeness. And that confers a certain sacredness to mankind, to human beings. Now, all of creation can be sacred because God made it, and we should respect the work of the great master, of the creator. We should look at this as a gift, something beautiful that we are a part of. But there's something important to think about when you understand that human beings are sacred, that human beings carry God's image. This is why things like murder and rape are wrong, that they are immoral and evil. Now you could say, well, I don't need some religion to tell me that killing people is bad. No, you have an internal code that tells you to not kill. That's fine. That's good. Not everybody has to go through an intellectual argument or exercise to decide should they be good or bad. A lot of us are just motivated to be good. Now, you could say, well, the reason you're motivated that way is because you bear God's image. There's something godly and holy and sacred about you that makes you naturally want to gravitate towards what is good and eschew that which is evil. You could make that argument. (laughs) But the thing about it is when we understand human beings as being sacred, when we understand that individuals should have power and authority over their own bodies, and not just individual adults, babies, children, adults. As a matter of fact, if if someone isn't capable of defending their own body, it's on those that are capable of defending it to stand up for that person. That's why we protect children. That's why we jump in a fray if there's some guy beating up a, a, a small woman or a big woman, you don't just sit there and watch. You're supposed to stop it. You're supposed to jump in. You're supposed to get help. She can't defend herself against some 280-pound bodybuilder and she's a buck 20 soaking wet. That's why we think of those things as outrageous, not because it's not a fair fight, because it's immoral for a human being to be violated physically, sexually, in any way. And so when we get to something like this vaccine, and this is one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand about those of us who are saying, I'm not doing it, and it's wrong to push it on people. It's wrong to coerce people. There's a lot of talk right now, like if you don't get the vaccine, you really don't deserve to be part of society. Screw you, you're out. And I understand people who, I understand people where they're coming from. I don't agree with them, but I understand people feel that way. They're very selfish. They're self-centered. They want the world a certain way for them, and they really don't care about anybody else's convictions, about their conscience, about the morality. They don't care about their worldview or how they understand ethics or what they think about their own physical body. All they want is what's good for them. Excuse me, and if that means you have to be violated so that they can have the life that they want, well, tough beans. Now, be one thing to say, hey, look, we're asking you to take two aspirin. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're asking you to take a couple aspirin. Aspirin's been around for 200 years. I really don't know how long it's been around, at least 100. Aspirin's been around 100 years. It's been tested. It's made with, you know, the bark from a willow tree. I mean, it's, it's like natural. It's not any evil thing. It wasn't, it's not crushed up babies. It's not, you know, it's, witches don't have to pray over it. It's not some bizarre 
thing that makes you go against your own belief system. It's aspirin. It's just a little bit of a chemical powder. It neutralizes a couple things. It dulls the nerves here. You're good to go. What's the big deal? I get that. If you're just saying, hey, look, there's a virus. Now, I'm not, I don't get that you can push it on people. I'm just saying, if that were the case, you would not see the resistance to this thing. Now, everybody that's forcing it is acting like it's a done, it's done deal. The science is in. That's just so stupid. I'm just so sick of the science talk. People act like, oh, the science is in. It's a blah, blah, blah. I watch CNN. Jake Tapper told me the science is in. What's wrong with these people, these science deniers, these anti-medicine people? Ho, ho. I'm, I, there's nothing in. There's no science in. Shut up. It's not in. If you took the vax, it's an experiment right now. You took it because you were scared. You took it because you wanted your freedom back. You took it because you were convinced on some level. These are different scenarios. You were convinced that it was good. Okay. But you shouldn't act like the rest of the world has to agree with you just so that you can have your stupid life. It doesn't work that way. We, If it were aspirin, you'd have a reason to be upset. It's just aspirin. It's been around forever. Why won't these people take it? It's so outrageous. There's never been a religious conviction against aspirin since... Since it's existed, there's never been any issue with it before. Everybody takes it. It's, it's 22 cents, you know, a pill. It's probably not even that much as pennies a pill. What's the big deal? It's been around forever. We've all had it at one time or another. That's not the case. This is such an unknown that it's a politically, it's a politically fraught environment. It's being driven by a welfare totalitarian state. People are losing their jobs over it. They're being pushed off of a cliff. And look, thank God there are people who, when they're pushed, say, if you're going to push me, then I'm not doing it. Society needs people like that. You think you want to eliminate the people that are willing to resist authority? My gosh, the left, for how long, has, has said their bona fides are all about resisting authority and fighting the man, standing up you know, for the little guy. The ACLU will fight for your rights. Now, all of a sudden, boy, that table has turned, isn't it? How dare you fight the man? How dare you stand up to authority? How dare you? We will crush you. We will annihilate you. I don't remember the right wing doing that. I don't remember the right wing trying to crush and annihilate anybody that stood up to them. We all tended to roll our eyes and go, well, there's another dirty hippie burning a flag. Must be nice to have the freedom to burn the flag and talk about how crappy America is. You can't you can't have that freedom anywhere else. It must be a terrible country that you're allowed to crap all over it. Yeah, we'd roll our eyes. We'd mock you. We didn't cut you out of society. We said, yeah, you know, we don't like the way you're behaving, but, you know, you've got a right to behave that way. That's what, that's what being free is all about. How soon the left forgets. But when you think about a human being as being created in God's image, which means that human being is sacred, there is something holy and sacred about that individual, which is true for every single human being. When you understand that that's the case, that there's something sacred, then the human being becomes inviolable. You may not violate that person. You may not violate their conscience. You may not violate their body. Again, this is why we say things like rape. This is why we say things like murder, assault, coercion to do things that go against your conscience. This is why we've always said things like people should have the religious exemption. You don't want to go to war and kill people for your country. We give you a religious exemption. You can sit and peel potatoes somewhere, or do office work, or do some 
uh, jail time, whatever you got to do. I don't know if we have to do jail time. I've heard of countries where you have to spend a little bit of time in prison uh, if you're not willing to go to, to, to war for your country. But the long and short of it is we give people, and giving people jail time is not giving them the exemption. <laughs> I understand that. This is what happens when you're just riffing when you're talking here. We give people the room so that they don't have to violate their own conscience, so that they don't have to violate their own bodies. You know, one of the things that people don't understand about the pro-life movement is that if you believe that the, that the human being begins at conception, you say, well, you can't violate that body. The left has always said, well, yeah, but the woman's body is her body, her choice. I understand the woman has to carry that baby. I get that. That's, that's, that's a carry. That's a lift. That's a hard thing to do. My wife has had three children. I've watched. Uh, it's hard. I'm not going to take that away. But the, I, I think what the left doesn't want to admit, or a lot of people just don't understand, because there's always these caricatures and cartoons of the opposition, is that the pro-life right is concerned about the body and the being of that child and that it's sacred and that it must be protected because it can't protect itself. If you come at me, bro, I'm going to do everything I can to protect myself. I may not be successful, but I have the means to try to mount a defense to protect myself. If you come at me, I'm going to try to protect my loved ones. I have the means to mount a defense. An unborn child, a, a, a two-month-old child, a three-year-old child, they don't have the means. And that's why society is, is obligated to protect the young and the unborn. The reason I'm talking about these things, I'm trying to get you to, or I'm trying to help you. I don't get you like, you guys aren't listening to me. I'm trying to help you understand the importance of the human body and, and the importance of people are not a means to your end. They are an end unto themselves because they bear God's image, because each one of us is an image bearer. We are not meant to be the means to someone else's ends. You don't get to use me for what you want. We, we can... We can agree together. We can decide together that, sure, that's fine. Let's do a thing together. This is where people get married and they have the conjugal bed. They make children together. They, they agree together. They consent to come together. This is why you can't just go club a woman over a head, drag her by the hair back to the cave and, and say you got yourself a wife. <laughs> oh my gosh, those cartoons were so popular in the 70s. I don't know what that was all about. But the human is not to be violated because they are an end unto themselves because they bear God's image. And so where am I going with all this? When we push this vaccine, we have to understand that people should be inviolable, that they should not be violated in any way. And any government that creates a law that violates people, you know, even if it is aspirin, you have to take aspirin. No, people don't have to. You don't get to tell them what to put in their body. This should be so simple. No one gets to tell you what you put in your body. No one gets to force you. And if your answer is that's right, but then you don't get to participate in society, man, then I'm sorry. You're an unthinking person. You're a self-centered, unthinking person. 
all you really care about is you. You don't care about the world being a better place. You don't care about saving anybody or anything. You're not willing to lay your life down for anyone. You're demanding that others lay their life down for you because you want to go back to your favorite foodie restaurant or go out to concerts or hang out with your buds and drink beers. You know, if you want to do that stuff, just break the law. Just go out and have your beer. (laughs) It's that simple. You're not going to die of COVID. You got a 0.026% chance of dying from COVID. It's not going to kill you, bro. And yet you're insisting that everybody get an experimental gene altering injection that none of us understand that scientists have not been able to figure out for decades. And yet you're damn sure everybody's got to get this thing for society to get back on track. And so we come back full circle to the foods, the lettuces. Where are we going with this when we're so new with this technology? It's a huge political and societal battle. We really don't know how this technology is going to play out. And already the government is throwing money at how do we get this stuff in our food? We're going to have mRNA Pop-Tarts when this is all done, kids. And the concern I have is if we go down this route and this starts being put into the food supply, and I don't mean Pop-Tarts. I'm like, you know, stuff can be fortified these days. Big deal. I'm talking about in lettuce, in leafy green vegetables, in your spinach. I, I just feel like we're, we're begging for another Jurassic Park. Not that it's going to create velociraptors and Tyrannosaurus rex that run around killing people, but that nature is going to go amok, that we're, this stuff is going to get a little out of hand. We've, we've never, I, I can't think of a time when our heavy-handed science approach to anything has, has ended well. DDT wiping out the songbirds. I mean, you know, it's just, we always think we've come up with some miracle thing. It's, it's a cliche. I mean, what we're living right now is a cliche. And we're too damn arrogant to admit it to ourselves. So here's the thing. If you've had the vax, big deal. I'm not on you if you've had the vax. This isn't meant to damn you or to judge you or to say that you're less than. What I'm trying to do is provide some context because I feel that people don't understand what they're demanding of others. They don't have the framework to look at the world around them right now and understand what's going on. And they don't have the lens to look at it and and to understand it, to think about it. How should I think about it? The only way that most people know how to think about a given topic these days is by what the news media is telling them they should think, right or left. People listen to their favorite, you know, I'm not even going to say newscaster. I mean, they're not even newscasters. They're really just opinion mongers. They listen to their favorite personality, which is really what they are. It's a television personality. This isn't, you know, you're watching Chris Cuomo. He's not doing his own journalism, kids. You watch all these people, you know, the only one that I'm wondering about right now is Tucker Carlson. And somebody got mad at me for bringing him up on one of my uh, YouTube videos. I said, I think Carlson does some good work. I'm sorry. I think that Carlson does do some good work. He's doing some journalistic work. He's digging in a little deeper and looking into things that nobody else wants to talk about. He's interviewing people that nobody else is seemingly wanting to interview. I appreciate that. 
And uh, I think that more people should do that on the left and the right. But mostly people's opinions are formed by what they're told by the media. And you could say, well, you're different. Well, I'm sorry. If you're on Reddit, your opinion's being formed by your Reddit buddies. There's no free speech there. People are getting banned all the time for having a dissenting view. Smug little nerds with their neck beards. <laughs> oh. So as you're listening to this, I just hope you'll back up a little bit, no matter what side you're on, and think about the concept of, of the sacredness of the human being. And what, and as you think about that, what impact does that have? What, how should that inform our policies? How should that inform how we move forward? We've got this underlying idea that we've got to create this perfect society. We've got this underlying idea that everybody has to conform so this will work. We need to stop and back up. This is not about the herd. This is not about the collective. This is about the sanctity of life, the sanctity of a human being. I'm not talking about raw individualism. Do whatever you want. No, We should lay our lives down for one another. We should care about one another. We should cover one another. This is how you form families. This is how you form neighborhoods and societies, communities, societies, and nations. When you band together with common cause, care for one another, look out for one another, forgive one another, hold one another accountable, develop values and rules and systems and institutions and ways to live. These are good things, but you have to treat the individual as sacred. This is a property right issue. Your body is your property and nobody else's. No one has the right to harm your property. No one has the right to take your property from you. Now, there are situations where people run afoul of the law. And when they run afoul of moral laws, when you murder, you lose the right to your freedom. And in some instances, when people's crimes are wicked enough, you do lose your life. The state takes your life from you. I'm not going to make an argument for capital punishment or against. That's not what this podcast is about. But do we really think for a virus that has a 0.026% death rate. Do we really think, or you could look at a crude death rate of 0.07, I want to say. There's a couple different ways to get at that, but it's still 0.0 fill in the blank. It's not even 1%. It's not even 0.1%. It's 0.01, 0.06. Do we really think for something that's not that lethal, that we need to violate people's bodies and their conscience with an experimental technology that has yet to be tried and proven, that has yet to show us that it's stable, safe for the long term. Is it fair to people in an environment where there is no trust, where the political system is so corrupted that no one can trust it on either side, where each side always feels like they're getting ripped off, Is it fair to demand of people 
that we violate their body, that we force them against their will, that we coerce them to do something that goes against their conscience, that they're scared to do. So as you're thinking about this going forward, and as we look at ways that already our society, and we don't even have this thing figured out and already, and when I say we don't have this thing figured out, don't forget, we were supposed to get one shot, then a second shot. Now we're supposed to get a third shot. Now they're talking about potentially every six to nine months having to get a shot. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They, oh, it's only for the elderly. Oh, now it's for the adults. Oh, now we think it's for teenagers. Oh, we can't wait to get the kids in there too. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. They're making this up as they go along. But already they're throwing half a million dollars. This is just the start. They're throwing, this is just a little bit of a test. They're throwing half a million dollars at technology to change the food source so that you can not only get the shot, you can just ingest this. All of you go to Wegmans, you go to uh, Harris Teeter, you go to Piggly Wiggly, wherever you go to do your shopping. You throw some, some leafy greens in the cart. You don't know. Is that mRNA? Is it not? Do they make it to the point where you're not allowed to sell food that doesn't have mRNA in it? Not allowed to buy ivermectin anymore. Heaven forbid you turn into a horse. Folks, we've got a fundamental problem in this society, and it's not, it's not the injection. The fundamental problem is that the state the collective and the state thinks that you are their property and that they can do whatever they deem necessary for the well-being of the collective and the well-being of the state and quite frankly, the well-being of the elites. And either you and I start waking up to this fact and say, no, my, I am sovereign over my own body. My body is mine. My children's body, bodies are theirs and I will fight to protect and defend them. My neighbor's body is theirs. No one gets the right to tell them what to do. And I will stand up for this until we wake up to the fact that, that the very only thing that we are born with, our bodies, ourselves, that those are being taken away from us until we wake up to that and realize that we are losing the one thing that we have, we will be slaves you mark my words. You say, Mike, you're being dramatic. This is, a, this is just, you're melodramatic. You're overstating the case. You mark my words. History is on my side. This never ends well. We are not different than those that have come before us. We don't have different values. The only thing that's different is we have more technology, which means we have the ability to be more destructive, more dehumanizing, and more evil than our predecessors. I would encourage you to think about this, talk about it with your friends, see what they think. What's your philosophy on the human being? How do you get to the place philosophically, theologically, emotionally, mentally, whatever, on your thinking about a human being? Is a human being in your mind inviolable? Is a human being sacred? Should you be sovereign over your body? Or is there certain limits to that? Should your life be given up for the better of this of the collective? Maybe something you've never thought about before, but take some time. How do you make the argument that no one should violate you? 
besides the fact that you just don't like it, if that's all you can come up with, it's not nice, it hurts, I don't like it, it makes me sad, then I think you've got to go a little deeper, philosophically, theologically, metaphysically. Ask yourself, what is my position on the human body? Is it sacred? And if so, why? And if you're looking for a framework to help understand that, I would highly encourage you, as you're, you all know, to look into Christianity. It has a very sophisticated, developed understanding of the human being and the human being's relationship to other human beings and the human being's relationship to the world it finds itself in and the human being's relationship to the transcendent, to God. Guys, I hope that you are thriving. I hope that you're doing well. I'm appreciative for your time. Thank you for listening. I love you all. I love you all. I wish I could hang out with you guys. We could just hang out, have a few beers and talk. It would be awesome. Maybe someday we'll do that. There's a podcast I listen to called The No Agenda Show. Shout out to Adam and John, greatest podcast in the universe. And they do meetups. They do regional meetups. I've been going to the one here in Charleston. Some phenomenal people at the the meetup. It just made some great friends and you get to talk with like-minded people. I would love someday to do some meetups with you guys. But in the meantime, I hope you're doing well. I would encourage you, find like-minded people that you can talk to, that you can confide in, encourage one another to navigate your way through this world that we find ourselves in. I do have hope. I think things are going to get better, but I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be hard work to get there. I think we've got some mountains to climb. In the meantime, let's help each other out. Uh, Just know that I love you and I will catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you.